Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This time from Pastor Graham Mabry. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. You are God. I am not. I will trust and obey. There's a pastor that I always try to catch up with uh, for a coffee or a meal whenever I go up to the United States to see our children and grandchildren. And uh, often in our conversation, one or other of us will say those words. You are God. I am not. I will trust and obey. We continue our series on By My Spirit, Radical Obedience. Radical Obedience. And, and when I see that title, Radical Obedience, my heart goes, Ah, oh, yes. And then I turn and look at my life in the light of radical obedience, and my heart goes, Oh, no. Oh, no. Is this stuck? And, and when the rubber hits the road, guys, how do you feel about radical obedience? Really? Really? I think this little guy sums it up pretty well. Uh, there's a wonderful story of a little fellow who was standing on his seat, quite excited at the table, and his mum said, for obvious reasons, sit down. He ignored her. So she said, sit down. He ignored that. So then the parental third one, just before judgment is swift and terrible, will you sit down? So very reluctantly he did. And his nana leaned over and said, that's a good boy. And he very quietly said to her, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. And I reckon that's how we go with obedience. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. No, I know I'm not, who's still standing up on the inside. And the reason I know I'm not, I found some amazing research this week. The author who uh, reported this research, which is a summary of research done across psychology and ethics departments, all this is a professional journal, it's not kind of, you know, a new idea. Uh, this research, or no idea, whatever, the, uh, the research author said, I remember once I used an expired student card to get discount tickets to movies. And then went on to say that this research studied people who were seen as good, upright, law-abiding people. And when they were surveyed, that's how they saw themselves. I'm an upright, law-abiding person. Every one of these people, good, upright citizens, was breaking the rules at least twice every day. See how many hits you get. Things like exaggerating your performance to your boss or padding your CV, or your Facebook profile. Creative accounting on your tax return, which you're about to do. Using the express lane when you have too many items and you know it. Texting while you're driving. Speeding. Boarding planes before they call your row. Enjoying pirated music or pirated movies. Lying to get an advantage for your kids taking a sickie. One young man, it seemed to his boss, every time there was a major sporting event in town, this young kid would ring in and say that his father needed urgent medical attention. So when it happened for the third time, he called him into his office and said, listen, every time there's a major sporting event, your father needs urgent medical attention. And the young guy said, yeah, do you think he's faking it? I remember hearing a, a, a pastor, very, a friend of mine in a discussion once, very, very courageously say, these things sneak up on you. He said, do you know, the other day, my little, his, his youngest had just turned five, just had his birthday party, and he was somewhere where buying a meal and children four and under were free. 
And the girl said to him, well, that'll be two adults, two children, and this little guy would be free, of course, four and under is free. And the pastor went, yeah, that's right. And the little guy said at the top of his lungs, oh, no, Daddy, remember, just two days ago we had my birthday party. I'm five now. And he said he could feel himself going beetroot red, but mostly thinking, why did I, why, where did that come from? Why did I do that? See, whenever you do these things, what we're really saying, what, when I do them, what I'm saying is I am the final authority on which rules apply. I will decide what the speed limit should be. I decide whether it's safe to look at my phone or not. I am the final. See, what, what this whole topic of obedience does, it asks the question, who's in charge? Who's calling the shots? And that is the question. That is the fundamental question of your eternal destiny. The fundamental question of your eternal destiny is who's in charge? And if that sounds a bit OTT, over the top, have a look at this scripture. Thanks, Ed. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Disobedience, obedience, eternal destiny. I love the way Peterson deals with this. He says, Jesus lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death as at that, a crucifixion. See, obedience and disobedience both involve joy and pain, benefit and cost. If there wasn't any joy in temptation, it wouldn't tempt us. We wouldn't do it at all. I'm never tempted to have a very large needle. I'm never tempted to have a root canal done, just for the fun of it. Temptation is fun. That's what makes it tempting. But whichever comes second is what lasts. You always get joy, you always get pain, but the one that comes second is what lasts. So, for example, with disobedience, the joy comes straight away. It did in the Garden of Eden, and the pain is still going on. Jesus went through more pain than we can humanly imagine, scooped up everything that separates us from him and the Father and took it into himself on the cross. The Bible says he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And you will enjoy that for eternity, depending on your choice. Tonight's reading, it's very special actually because Velma is with us. And this, tonight's reading was her baptismal reading when she was baptised 61 years ago. Is that right, Velma? Yes, so when, when she was baptised, it's a reading where you meet Philip. Now, this is Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Apostle. Philip the Evangelist, there, there was a bit of an issue in the church in Jerusalem. No church is ever perfect, not even in the book of Acts, as Dan reminded us last Sunday morning. And in this case, the Hebrew Christians were uh, being complained against from the Greek. The Greek Christians thought our widows are not, not, they're being overlooked in the daily food distribution. So they decided they would appoint seven, seven people who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And one of them was Philip. You'll also meet an Ethiopian. Now, Ethiopian, he actually came from southern Egypt, northern Sudan, kind of Aswan to Khartoum, that area. And uh, Luke tells us he was an important official in charge of all the treasury. Everybody in the cabinet would like to be the treasurer. The one who has the money generally has the power, and this guy had all the money. 
He was the, he was the treasurer for Candice, you'll hear in the reading in a moment. And uh, that's not the name of a queen, that's just a title. Like every leader of Egypt was a pharaoh, every leader of Rome was a Caesar, every leader in this country was a, was a female and was a Candice. And the females ruled, um, not because that's the order of things, as I'm sure the young women would want to explain to me, but they ruled because the, the sons were considered to be, the kings were considered to be sons of the sun the sun in the sky, and too divine to worry about day-to-day stuff. So this man had the trust, the power, the prestige. He's an aristocrat, a black aristocrat, and we we told he's a eunuch. Now, that may have referred to his physical condition. It may not, because in ancient Greek literature, eunuchs, that that term was used for high-ranking officials. We're not told, Luke doesn't bother to make that clear. But we are told something very clearly, and we'll find out. We're not told, by the way, exactly what his religious status was. We don't know if he was a proselyte or a neo-proselyte. But we do find out a lot about him and about Philip in this reading. And Jasmine's going to read it for us, I think. Yeah, thank Jasmine Stone, thank you. Go for it. Acts eight twenty six to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Great job. Thanks, Jasmine. Fantastic. We had this reading yesterday. Once a month we have an early morning prayer meeting on a Saturday. Tony Clark leads it and he had no idea this was the passage for today, but he chose to read it at our early morning prayer meeting yesterday. And as soon as he finished, Merle immediately said, um, where it says there that the spirit, you know, spirit of the Lord took Philip away suddenly, what actually happened? I think she was thinking, like, did God play with the space-time continuum and just get into the mainframe and change the coordinates and teleport him? Zip, boom, suddenly he appeared in Azotus. Luke doesn't bother to tell us. Uh, the word, the, the Greek word that's, uh, that's used there suggests that's probably uh, what happened because uh, the word is harpazo and it means sudden action. And uh, Robertson, the Greek scholar, says miraculously sudden things. So quite possibly he just disappeared here and appeared in Azotus 30 kilometres away. 
But Luke doesn't bother to say. Luke doesn't bother to say anything about the angel of the Lord, except that he turned up. It's like saying, you know, I saw Nick yesterday. Oh, yeah, the angel of the Lord popped in yesterday. I had a word to Philip. Uh, and doesn't, but doesn't go, into de- doesn't go into detail about how the Spirit spoke to him about the chariot. Doesn't bother. Why? Because he doesn't care. It's not important. It's not the point of the story for Luke. Luke doesn't give those details, and, but what does matter to Luke is what he focuses on, and that is not how the Spirit did it, but that the Spirit did it. As far as Luke is concerned, the point of this story is the Spirit is talking to the people of God and leading them. The, the Spirit led, the church radically obeyed, and the gospel spread. Jesus said, you'll, you'll, have, you'll spread the gospel in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To these first century Romans and Greeks, this magnificent black ruler would have seemed like the end of the earth. In fact, they believed his country was the southern edge of the world. And Luke is saying, you see, you see, the, the gospel's going to Africa. This is before Paul's first journey as a missionary into Macedonia. God's already spreading the gospel as the people of God respond to the Spirit of God. You see, the gospel spreading by people who are led by the Spirit. They're doing what the Holy Spirit tells them to do. The Spirit, all the way through Acts, it, it opens doors, it shuts doors, it lets them go here, it stops them going there. The Spirit speaks, through, I shouldn't say it, he opens doors, forgive me Lord, he shuts doors, he is a person, uh, he, he leads them here, he stops them going there. He actually, uh, he speaks through dreams, he speaks through visions, he speaks through prophets, he's constantly speaking. And one of the reasons Philip may not have given any detail is that it was so common, they, they all knew what was going on. So he didn't need to go into detail. Not how the Spirit was doing it, but that the Holy Spirit was doing it. In fact, Paul says, tell you how you can tell the children of God, they're the ones being led by the Spirit of God. That's how you pick them. Look for the people being led by the Spirit. They're the ones that are God's children. Throughout Acts, it's evident, to use a musical analogy, the Lord is writing the score and the Lord is conducting the orchestra. The apostles and the the followers of Jesus are playing the instruments, but God's writing the tune. And the words go something like this. He works in ways I cannot see. He is God. I am not. I will trust and obey. Why is the gospel spreading? Because persecution has replaced favour. Stephen has given his life for Jesus. Persecution now breaks out instead of favour and the gospel spreads. Philip goes down to Samaria and proclaims the Messiah and there's this massive revival. Great signs, great miracles, great joy in the city and in the middle of the revival, God says, leave, go to a desert road on your own. Now, if we were there, like if we had a massive, please God, revival of that magnitude happening right here in Perth and Nick was intimately involved and he presented himself to the team one day and said, I'm going to the middle of the Nullarbor Plain. We would think, time for a holiday, Nick. We'll pray. You get some counsel. This is completely not what you would expect Philip to be doing. He's called out of a revival to a lonely desert road. He doesn't know he's going to meet an Ethiopian. He has no idea. Maybe God knew, by the way, that he just needed some time with God because God didn't zap him to the place, only from. Maybe God thought, no, Philip, you just need a few, little bit of walking along this road, a bit of time with me, a bit of restoration and recreation, and you've been, you've been really hyped up in this, I don't know, the, Lord, the Bible doesn't tell us. But it's equally interesting that at the end of it, the, the, the gospel is shared, the Ethiopian is baptized, the job is done, 
Philip's gone. Hang on a minute. Wouldn't you send an evangelist with this spirit-filled, powerful figure into his country to start the church in that country? Isn't that logical? Not God's way. It's totally logical, by the way. It just doesn't happen to be what God's doing. God does that and then takes Philip straight out of there. It's interesting, isn't it? You see, in the same way as God brought um, a guest to our church to speak to Alistair and prompted Jonathan to say to Alistair, this is not just another thing. Pay attention here. This could be God. God takes, in the same way as God took Peter and John up the stairs one way and had a cripple carried up the other way because he's going to run back. In the same way, he takes this man who's probably a middle-class Jewish preacher and, and worker and servant-hearted person full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and this incredible, this, this, he was totally different to Philip in every way, racially, from class, from education, from, and yet God brings these two together. He takes one of them on a 1,600-kilometer journey and the other on an 80-kilometer desert road. And neither of them knew what was ahead when they started that journey. The great conductor is bringing them together. See, that's what we mean by providence. It's a perfect definition of providence. We'll put it on the screen for you. Providence, the word comes from the Latin, providera. And it means to provide beforehand. So God brings one man 1,600 kilometers, the other one on an 80-kilometer road. He ensures that this man has a scroll of Isaiah. He ensures that he's reading it and he ensures that Philip arrives just as he gets to a critical section of Isaiah 53, as Jasmine read to us. No section in the Old Testament, which is all the scripture they had, is more central to the gospel than what he was reading as Philip arrives. And by the way, they come to water on a desert road at just the right moment so he can baptize him. All that being done by God. The scripture says we are God's handiwork. You are. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Prepared in your works are provided. You don't have to invent them. You just have to discover them. And you don't have to discover them on your own. You can't. But if you walk with him step by step, they will unfold. It's how he does it. See, the point of this series is that you get actually called the Acts. In some Bibles, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he's working in it from start to finish. And this book doesn't end. It just kind of stops. And the reason it didn't end is because it isn't ended. The Acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written in our church now. They're still being written in our city now. And they're being written in our city when we obey the Spirit as radically as Philip did. And his obedience was radical. Not only does he leave a revival, as soon as God says, you're on your way, he just goes. But when he comes to this chariot and the Lord says, attach yourself to that chariot. And the the Greek word is very vivid. God's really saying, Philip, super glue yourself to that chariot. That would have been far more daunting to him than running up to the president's limousine at the G20. This, this, this chariot, is, he would have had an entourage. He, the, Philip would remember the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon. This guy's up there with them. And I'm going to run up to... And Philip runs to his chariot. 
and then runs alongside the chariot. It's a funny scene in my head. He's like, do you understand, do you understand what you're reading? And I think Philip, when he said, well, why don't you come into my chariot? Philip, oh, thank you, Jesus. But until he was invited into the chariot, he ran alongside it. When we obey as radically as he did, the Holy Spirit continues to write the story in us. Brian Pickering, when he taught Keys to Effective Prayer here, used a wonderful phrase. He said, we want to be totally available and radically obedient. Totally available, radically obedient. You are God, I am not. I will trust and obey. Jesus said, my father's always working. And he's working here now. So whatever you're doing, let me tell you what I think this makes the key question. It is for me. I'm sure it is for you. The key question is not, is what I'm doing acceptable to other people? Is what I'm doing spiritual? Is what I'm doing appearing holy? Is what I'm doing impressing anyone? The question is this, is it obedience? Is it obedience? Whatever you're doing, is it obedience? See, Philip could have stayed in Samaria and people would have thought, good man, you're you're an anointed evangelist. God's at work. Hang in there. But it would have been sin, disobedience. Philip could have stayed with the Ethiopian and we would have said, good strategy, but it would have been disobedience. When our church gave a little over a million dollars in one offering, after some time of praying and saying, Lord, if the money comes in now, we know we're meant to build. If it doesn't come in, we know we're not. But we said to the people, if God tells you not to give and you give one dollar, just so that you don't have the embarrassment of passing the bucket, it's disobedience. If he tells you to give more than you ever have, and many did, then not to do that. The question is, is it obedience? God says it this way in, in Revelation, in the message, I x-ray every motive. Appearances don't impress me. God, we focus on what? God's always focused on why. Why are we doing this? Samuel goes to King Saul and says, Saul, it's time to take the Amalekites, but everything there is God's. Don't take anything for yourself. Saul can't resist. He takes the best sheep and the best cattle. And when Samuel comes, what does Saul say to him? I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And his nose grew a bit. No, it didn't. But he, was, he knew he hadn't. But he knew the issue was obedience. I've done what the Lord said. And Samuel said, really? So why can I hear sheep and cattle? They shouldn't be here. Samuel tries to dress it up as worship. But tragically... Saul's disobedience cost him his kingdom. Isn't this magnificent? Jesus' obedience opened God's kingdom to you. Saul's disobedience cost him his. Jesus' obedience opened the kingdom to you. I think it's magnificent. In fact, Samuel gives us the heart of what we're talking about tonight in one little phrase. It's up there in the middle. To obey is better than sacrifice. Does God not care about your sacrifice? Of course he does. He said to a couple of the churches, I know the sacrifices you're making. But what made them precious is they were making them because God had asked them to. So can you just, as you're listening, be saying, Holy Spirit, in my life, is what I'm doing obedience? It was clear that Alastair went to Japan in obedience to God. But if he'd gone for some other motive... God's gracious and merciful, and I get it wrong many, many times. 
But obedience is the key. To obey is better than sacrifice. Where would you put a Christian broadcaster, a Baptist pastor? Would you put him on the radio station owned by the TAB? And then have a guy who wasn't then a Baptist, I was never going to be a pastor. But when I took over from Neil Adcock, suddenly here's this Christian. Why did we go there? Because it was obedience. It's the only station that led us, that invited us. Sunshine didn't exist. I got to launch that. I knew more about trifectas and quinellas and mystery bets. I knew which horses were running. I knew the jockeys. I chatted to the trainers. I knew more about the GGs and punters. Not because I wanted to, because that's where God had placed me. Was that because so I can be an urban missionary? No, nonsense. I was just doing what he told me to do. I had no idea that was coming down the pike. I recently had a lunch with a Christian school principal, principal of a Christian school, who was also a Christian, and a head of department in one of his programs, which is taking off, but it's taking them into all sorts of areas that it's very like me having to work. How do I walk as a Christian through this part of the world? And we chatted about the lessons Merle and I had learned along the way. And at the end of the talk, the principal said this to me. He said, Graham, listening to you and the two of you chat, he said, it seems to me, as long as you know it's obedience, the Lord will help you work it out step by step. You've got to know it's obedience, but as long as you know it's obedience, God will help you work it out. And I think that's, that's, that's been our experience, and I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first his kingdom. First, know it's obedience, and then all these things will be added to you. You don't have to sort it out because you're not writing the score, remember? You're just playing the part. You don't get to decide whether it's B flat or A, or it's a minor. He'll tell you that. And he won't tell you ahead of time, but we'll come to that in a moment. It's becoming really crucial to know what God's saying to you. Isn't it? And some of you might be sitting there thinking, fine for you, Graham, you're a pastor. God doesn't talk to me. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. How can you be so categorical? Because Jesus was. Jesus said categorically, my sheep listen to my voice. And then they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. He said, they'll follow me because they hear me. Well, I don't don't even know if I'm his sheep yet. Okay. He actually said to, to Zacchaeus, hey Zacchaeus, I, the son of man, have come to seek and restore the lost. I'm the one who leaves the 99 and comes to the one. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Look, I'm at the door. Here I am. I'm standing knocking. Think about what if that idea, oh, God doesn't speak to me. What if that's a lie? What if he's speaking to you all the time? But you just need to learn how to hear him. Just to hear him. It's a relationship. Like any relationship, you have to practice. You get better at it as you go along. I don't think it's by accident. Tony read that passage yesterday morning. I thought I should tell the young people in particular a story about Brett McCracken. I'd never heard of him before Monday this week, even though he's in the Gospel Coalition. It's a great group. I pick up an email from Simon and he says, Peter thinks our book of the month this week should be, this month, sorry, should be by Brett McCracken. I thought, how's that? And the story about Brett McCracken is that he was walking into a coffee shop to read a book. It was Christopher Wright's book, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. And as he walked in, he just felt prompted to say, Holy Spirit, would you use this book as a bridge to a stranger? Sat down, he read for about 30 minutes, and a lady he'd never seen before said, Excuse me, that's a very interesting book you're reading. 
and a conversation ensued. And he said it was a bit awkward at first, but it ended up with her in, him inviting her to his church. You see, I, best, I, I should move on quickly because time's gone. So let me say, Mill's second comment about the story that we read tonight was this. She said, you know what? The issue really is we're not sure is this God or is it me? And that's true, isn't it? We, we, sometimes I, we say, Lord, just send me a letter and sign it. Do this, love Jesus, and I'll do it. And it's not always easy to work out what he wants us to do. And you can hesitate for two reasons. One's good and one's not so good. If you hesitate for discernment, that's really smart. You read Acts 16, they wanted to go here and the Spirit stopped them. They wanted to go there and the Spirit stopped them. Then finally Paul gets a vision and they go here. We, we took six months to decide to come to Mount Pleasant. We came down three times to say, you know what, we don't think this is the Lord. And God just kept leading us. We wanted, in our hearts, we wanted to do what God wanted and we didn't want to mess this church up if we weren't a right fit. It was a great church, even back, well, it's always been a great church, especially back then. So it took six months and the Lord didn't mind that. While we both sorted out, is this God? But if you hesitate from disobedience, that's a bad idea. Ask Saul or Jonah. Either of them will give you a working knowledge of why it's not a good idea to hesitate through disobedience. See, disobedience causes trouble. Let me quickly say this, and then we'll wrap up with one final thing. Not all trouble is disobedience. But you can get into trouble because Jesus is working on you. It just happens. I, I get irritated when people put their seats back in my lap and I've got to go all the way to America. And do you know, Merle used to burst out laughing because we, we went through months where if there were 300 people in the economy section and one person was going to put their seat back while we were still taxiing, they were in front of me. And she'd snicker. <laughs> and in the end, I was whinging to God. In a, this is a true story. I'm in, in, the, in, in, the, in the terminal going, God, I've had enough of this. These people are putting their seats back. They've got your head in the lap and you can't eat your dinner. And, you go, and, and just quietly, this little voice said, Graham, it's going to keep up till you learn your lesson. It's not by accident. So there can be things that happen to us where the Lord's just saying, grow up. I want to shape you more like me. It doesn't bother me, so it shouldn't bother you. Not all trouble is caused by disobedience, but disobedience always causes trouble. Okay, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I think it's fantastic that this Ethiopian was reading about a person when Philip came up. He didn't say, can you explain to me the doctrine of Isaiah's uh, eschatology? Who is this person I need to meet? Guidance is a person. Jesus. Guidance is not signposts and things. They are, God uses them, but to point us to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. But we've got a problem. If Jesus fronts me in all his glory, I'll do what John did. I think it was it Jonathan. One of, one of our speakers recently said, when Jesus confronted them, they fell down dead. He's just too great and glorious. So he does something. Let me take from my high school physics. Let's, uh, let me just show you this and then we're done. If you take white light and you put it through a prism, it splits into a spectrum, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. You know, and you get infrared and ultraviolet. But all of that rainbow is white light. Same thing. And I believe Jesus puts himself, his radiance, through the prism of his love and grace and he comes out in a rainbow that we can deal with And they're all the different ways he speaks to us. So the first one is the word of God. This is supreme, right? If it's not in the word, it's not on. I don't care how spiritual it feels. But there's a problem with the word of God in the sense there's no verse in there that says, Alastair, go to Japan. So the word of God is the absolute foundation. 
Then there are circumstances. But circumstances can be ambiguous. Is this a closed door or should I keep on knocking? God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Often people operate them with amazing accuracy. Sometimes they're completely off the wall and it's pizza, not Jesus. Something they had to eat the night before and they think they have this word for you and it's complete, it's cockamamie. But the gifts of the Spirit are precious and God uses them. So too, the still, small voice. But boy, do you get interference on that radio channel. I'm, this time of year, I have this still, small voice saying, Hawaii, Hawaii. And I can see it because Merlin, I I can see the two-seater cabana under the palm trees. I know exactly in Monolani where I'm going to go. And I come to Nick and say, I'm called to Hawaii. And he says, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. And that brings me to something that I want to come to. I've jumped one ahead. No, that brings me to the most important one, I think, mature Christian counsel. I have a magnificent team of sisters and brothers in this place. And if I'm trying to work something out, I can go to them. Even more than that, I have a wife, and God does not lead one flesh two ways. And for Merle and I, we've discovered when we ask, is this the Lord, generally, pretty quickly, we both agree that it is or it isn't, but one of us is a lot happier about it than the other one. (laughs) We're very rarely both thrilled. But we kind of know it's Jesus. Let me finish with this. All of those ways that Jesus speaks to us, just not quite yet, Ed. Sorry, mate. Let's just just leave that other one up for a minute. Thank you. That was me, not you. All of those ways Jesus speaks to us must agree because they're all coming from the same source. What does it mean when they don't line up? Well, in our crazy, busy, digital age, what it means is it's not time yet. Keep doing what he's already telling you to do. In God's time, they'll line up. There is a time for every purpose. A young pastor went to an older pastor and said to him, I can't work out what God wants me to do. These, these ways he speaks to us are all over the place. And the old pastor said, well, I think you'll find it's timing. And the young guy said, I don't know what you mean. And he said, now, thanks, Ed, we can do it now. The old pastor gave him a rosebud. And he said, all I want you to do is open this rosebud up. And the young guy smiled because he knew it was a loaded question. He said, yeah, I get it. If I try to open that rosebud, I'll mangle it and kill it. And the old pastor said this to him. It's only a tiny rosebud, a flower of God's design. But I can't unfold the petals with these clumsy hands of mine. The secret of unfolding flowers isn't known to such as I. God opens this flower so easily. But in my hands, it'll die. If I can't unfold a rosebud, a flower of God's design, how can I have the wisdom to unfold this life of mine? So I'll trust in God for leading each moment of my day. I'll look to God for guidance each step along my way. The path that lies before me, only the Lord knows. I'll trust God to unfold my moments just as he unfolds the rose. You are God. I am not. I will trust and obey. Let's pray. As our worship team comes back, I find it interesting that Philip wasn't told what to do next until he did the first thing. He wasn't told to 
to join. He didn't even know there was a chariot. All he was told to do was leave the revival, head for the desert road. Step by step, God unfolded for him. Two questions as we go into our final song of worship. And Holy Spirit, speak to us in your love and your grace as we consider these questions. Whatever you're doing in your life, is it obedience? Is it obedience? And here's the second question. What is the next step of obedience for you? What is it? Would you stand with me? Whatever is happening in your life, is it obedience? What is the next step of obedience for you? See, the book of Acts is still being written by the people who obey the leading of the Spirit. If you're not sure, you don't have to do anything. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I've often said, Lord, you make it clear. I'm not moving until you do. And he will. But what in your life? Is it obedience? And what's the next step? We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.